Hello everyone, this is Space Cafe Podcast, and I am Marcus. So you're finally looking to make your mark in the world of space exploration, right? Well, 2023 is shaping up to be a year of big possibilities. So you got a little money and talent left to spend? Well, perhaps this year holds a place for just you. From private lunar missions to deep space exploration and even space tourism, the possibilities are endless. And who better to give us an insight when it comes to the commercial side of space than Kevin O'Connell, the former director of the Office for Space Commerce at the U.S. Department of Commerce. So sit back and relax and join us as we explore the exciting world of space and discover if it's a business opportunity for you. I need every kind of talent that I have on Earth, I'm going to need for the space economy as well. Let's face it, after the amazing year of 2022 with the launch of Artemis, James Webb, the records in the number of launches at SpaceX in China, the first TikTok from space, the father's helicopter flight on Mars, and so on and so forth. It's time to think bigger and aim for the stars. So wherever you are, fellow travelers, let's go on this journey together. Let's go. What's, what is the one thing you hope people are remembering about your tenure as the director of the Office of Space Commerce at the U.S. Department of Commerce? So, Marcus, thanks very much, and uh, I'm delighted to be here for this discussion with you today. Uh, I think the one thing that I want people to remember is that space is really about economics uh, in as much as it's about a whole bunch of other things. And when I say that, it's about things like how countries organize for space or how companies organize for space and how you stimulate innovation uh, through a whole bunch of different means. Uh, it's by uh, how we expect economic and other benefits from space. And so uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that people remember that we focused on these economic aspects of space being mm. as important as the many other dimensions of space mm. that were, were important as well. Let's try to um, make it really clear what we're talking about. So what do we mean by economics, space, uh, space commerce? What, what is that, what, we, what we're talking about here? Well, so again, economics is at some level about inputs and outputs. Uh, what are the kinds of things that are generating space capabilities? And those can be everything from government programs and investment to private sector investment to entrepreneurship uh, to talent uh, and the ways that people are encouraged to bring those together uh, to put together a capability. You know, we have decades now of experience uh, that is shifting very rapidly from a state-centered approach to space to one which is overwhelmingly now a commercial approach to space. Uh, and so that's partly why we're seeing the acceleration uh, of, of things in space and their benefits here on the ground. Uh, so really, at some level, it's about inputs and outputs and how we measure those very carefully. Where's the commercial aspect happening right now? Is it is it the transportation? Is that where the money is at? Or is there also different places that are becoming relevant and becoming interesting? Oh, I think there's a whole host of them. You know, we can look to what we would call the traditional 
commercial space segments, uh, remote sensing, communications, uh, navigation, even weather at some level. And uh, those have a unique history of their own. Uh, and yet they are all changing themselves at lightning speed, even as entrepreneurs are bringing many, many new capabilities into the market. And so we look at a lot of different market segments that are emerging, things as exotic as space solar power and space medicine, and even the idea of food in space and the application of cryptography and NFTs in space. Those are all individual, to just name a few. Those are all market segments that are starting to emerge. They're backed by either government or private finance, mostly private finance. Mm. And and so you've got both of those things. All of those have been enabled, obviously, uh, by the drop in launch costs and the accessibility mm. of launch. I mean, that's the first mm. aspect that has changed the economics of space and, and how an entrepreneur gets to space. Uh, in the old days, if I had an idea about something to do in space... Uh, I might have to wait three to five years and spend a lot of money mm. to get to space. Today, I actually can hit a cadence where I'm launching something in space, trying it out. Maybe it doesn't work. Mm. I can adapt it on the ground and try it again and bring it into the market very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. And then that's part of the game-changing situation we're in with space commerce. Mm. What are some of the most interesting projects in, in space commerce people may perhaps not know of? Um, one example um, I could bring to the table is I've I never heard of the potential of space hospitals, space health, mm -hmm. which is really interesting. We, we discussed that in an earlier version of the show. Um, what are some of, to you to personally, some of the most interesting projects out there? So, so obviously, there, there are a handful of things we could talk about. One is uh, the potential to change the economics again uh, with all of the in-space manufacturing, the on-orbit manufacturing activities that we're seeing people think about. Uh, at one level, we're going to see satellite servicing industry come forward very, very quickly, and we'll be able to inspect, refuel, repair. Robotics is moving very quickly right behind to help do this. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's one whole area where I'm going to be able to change the economics of space and create wholly new capability in space. And you can look to some of the examples of things that people are saying they're going to be able to do in space, uh, improve pharmaceuticals, improve materials in space, uh, create, uh, you know, wholly new capabilities in space while they're up there. That's one whole class of activities. Uh, we could also look to another area that's really important, which is the whole issue of space sustainability. Uh, you know, during my time at Commerce, uh, the topic I spent every single day on was the topic of space debris and space sustainability. Uh, the good news today is that there's pretty widespread, uh, widespread public understanding that we do have a problem, uh, that uh, space debris puts at risk uh, the billions of dollars of investment by uh, by all of these countries and their allies. And uh so, so one of the issues that, that I see as another area for considerable innovation is the issue of space sustainability. This is a topic that I spent literally every day of my time at Commerce. I've spent practically every day since I left Commerce on the same topic. The good news is that there's a widespread understanding today uh, that we do have a problem, uh, that we need to focus capabilities on space sustainability, and we're seeing innovation pointed that way. 
we know that space debris today threatens first and foremost lives of people aboard the International Space Station. We're at a point right now uh, where three astronauts have been prohibited from coming back to Earth uh, because of a problem on, on the Soyuz spacecraft. Uh, and so we really see the practical and human aspects of this. But we also know the space debris affects the the billions of dollars of, of investment that's already been made in space, both by governments and by commercial entities. And frankly, it also affects all of the potential for space commerce that we're talking about. You know, the things that are going up in space. Scientists talk a lot about the Kessler effect, you know, the, this idea of a cascading set of collisions in space. But I worry more about how debris will actually change the extent to which commercializations benefits are lost because we're having to add fuel, we're having to maneuver more, we're having to do things like that. Mm. The good news is in the sustainability area, there's an entire commercial ecosystem of companies that is prepared to collect data to improve our understanding about the space environment, uh, to do debris removal, uh, and to help with sustainability in, in many other ways. So those are just two sort of mega examples of categories where there's activity. Mm. There are a whole bunch of other market segments that we could look at. Again, you mentioned space health. Mm. Um, space medicine is one that's very much of interest to me. Uh, the idea of food in space, how do I grow food in space? And when you think about this, as the lunar economy takes off, I think we'll see 22 and 23 being the advent of the lunar economy. When we are starting to live sustainably on the moon, we're going to have to have at least some of the culture. Uh, we're going to have to have at least some of the creature comforts that we have here on Earth mm. if we're going to stay there for a long time. Mm. So there'll be the things we have to have, things related to health. Uh, and there are going to be some things we're going to want to have, mm. uh, things like food, uh, things like medicine, mm. uh, you know, et, et cetera. So there's a whole bunch of folks that are working in areas like that. Where would these projects be happening, the project that you just mentioned? Because now there is one place in orbit, maybe on the Chinese space station also, where research is being done, um, as far as I understand. So where would these other places like um, manufacturing places, space health, where would this be happening? Also well, on the space I, I station or, or, or would there be factories somewhere in orbit or how would that work? Well, I think uh, in the short run, the answer is aboard the International Space Station. Mm. And uh, what we do know is that the demand for research opportunities on the space station is uh, off the charts, uh, okay. whether that be from, you know, n distinguished scientists to high school students. The demand for people wanting to try to do things in the microgravity ins environment uh, is extraordinary. I think this is one of the most important cases for commercial space stations. Uh, there's certainly going to be a tourism aspect. There's going to be a sure. visit space aspect. Uh, but I think the greater promise is so many people have ideas about what to experiment with in space to extend the space economy. So for now, it may be only the ISS, uh, potentially the Chinese space station. I'm not not quite sure, uh, you know, all the details of what's going on there. But they're very limited at this point. Is there, Kevin, is there a possibility, a technical possibility to add a Tinker Lab module to the space station? Would that be possible? 
So I don't know if there's, it's possible to add it to the space station. Obviously, we're looking, NASA is looking, others are looking uh, to a world in which there are commercial activities, uh, commercial space stations that can be used to support these things. I don't know about the technical feasibility of adding something right now to the space station, but uh, obviously people want places where they can at, can do these experiments and, and will benefit quite a bit from those. Uh, I think one of the things to go back to our initial part of the discussion, you know, one of the things we know is that for all of this research, just like in the Apollo program and in the early days of, of, of the space age, uh, we're going to benefit as much on Earth from things we learn as we will things that we actually learn about going farther and deeper and doing more in space. Absolutely. Um, could be a a test bed for Earth, um, very obviously. Um, you were mentioning <clears throat> space debris, and believe it or not, um, there is no episode, and now we're in episode 72 already of th that show, there's almost no episode where I am not talking about space debris, and I try really hard to avoid the topic because I <laughs> keep repeating myself, but it's just not possible anymore. So it seems like Space debris is the equivalent of climate change on Earth um, as a as a discussion point. Um, so there's no way around not talking about it. But the problem I, I'm seeing, and I'd be super curious to hear your your take on this. Um, we're all aware of the problem. We know there's a problem. We know the outcome. We know the Kessler effect. There is lots and lots of studies. What are we doing against it? What are we doing against it to mitigate that problem? Because so again, we're, all, uh, we're talking about it. Right. So I think we're doing better than that. I think we're doing more about it than, than just talking about it. I think we're finally seeing governments starting to spend money actively on mitigating it. And when I have this conversation, I always like to remind listeners that there are really four tools in your toolkit when dealing with space debris. Uh, the first one and the easiest and the cheapest and the simplest is don't create new debris as you go up. And there's some interesting technology areas today uh, on preventing, avoiding the creation of new debris uh, as you launch. Uh, some of them relate to propulsion. Some of them relate to different materials, mm -hmm. uh, et cetera. So that's the first and the easiest one. The second one, the one that I'd spent most time on is the question of understanding better where things are in space and how they behave in space, uh, space situational awareness, as it's affectionately called. Um, that is a, a function that in the United States uh, has been done by the Department of Defense for many years. Uh, there have been uh, part of my tenure at Commerce was trying to bring some of that over to the civil side, obviously in concert with my other government partners. I think there's a compelling case to bring a lot of this over to the civil side. I've given congressional testimony on this. Uh, a, you get to leverage literally trillions of dollars of technological investment in areas like data management, cloud computing, mm -hmm. analytics, and things like that. Uh, but you also get to have a more rigorous understanding of how the data was collected. Again, a more scientific understanding of how the data is collected and ability to, to uh, analyze the data in a more rigorous and complete way. The third tool in the toolkit, of course, is space traffic management. This can be the most controversial because it implies, uh, you know, telling people what to do. 
Uh, that is going to be something we're going to come to collectively. Uh, I think initially it's going to happen with our partners uh, and allies. It's not going to happen universally. Uh, current geopolitics uh, on the ground are limiting the ability for us to make progress on this in the international forums. But the private sector is actively working on standards of behavior and the way people would come upon one another in space and what to do, just like we do when we pass each other on the street in a car. Okay. Uh, in, in different countries, convention says that you turn one way, I turn another way. The government is not involved. The government has set a standard. Mm. Uh, and then the last one, of course, is active debris removal. Uh, we're seeing, obviously, in Japan, uh, in Europe, uh, and then even we've just had a bill here in the United States passed by the Senate uh, to start experimentation with active debris removal. Uh, how can it be best done? What kinds of bodies should it be best done for? Uh, so we're not without tools in the toolkit. The question I think we might ask, Marcus, is whether we're moving fast enough. We're not. Uh, and, you know, I, I worry a lot about a scenario in which there is a terrible crash in space, and mm. we hope that it's not a fatal crash. Mm. Uh, and and what will happen at that point is everybody and their brother will have an idea about what to do in space. And it may or may not be informed by solid, decades-long technical understanding of space. And if we're not careful, we could take measures, governments could take measures that actually wind up harming the space industry quite a bit. And so that's the outcome that I worry about. Um, I did a TV interview not long ago, uh, and the reporter in the middle of the interview said, uh, Mr. O'Connell, why don't we just stop everything until we figure it out? In other words, we're mm. going to stop all launches. We're going to stop. Mm. Uh, and I, you know, I, I chuckled and said, you know, that can't happen. It won't happen. It mm. shouldn't happen. And we've got to do better than that. I mean, we can't react to this problem. The possibility, though, is that we will have to react if something bad does happen mm -hmm. in space. So mm -hmm. those are the tools. We are making progress. Uh, the Europeans have a new space accelerator, obviously, mm -hmm. in this area. So uh, at some level, we're moving at the speed of government. The good news is that the private sector across the board is making progress in all of those areas that we've talked about. The private sector, yeah. Yes. So where's, where's the government in all of this? Because, I mean, like, What's the role of government in space? Because now, as you mentioned, we have the private sector, we have government, and now the private sector seems to be um, taking the lead in many things, in many aspects. Mm -hmm. So where, where do you see the governments? So government still has a very important role. Governments continue to, governments, plural, continue to uh, set national priorities in space. They continue to spend important amounts of money in space. Uh, we saw 2022, for example, uh, I believe government spent uh, a little over $100 billion worldwide in space, some of it for scientific exploration, space cap you know, capabilities like remote sensing, space weather, et cetera. Uh, obviously, uh, of different concern, uh, the security budgets in space are, are going up uh, because of the situation on the ground. And so governments still play a very big role. Mm. Uh, what governments also do is, A, they can collaborate with one another about space safety issues, again, a space traffic mm. management regime or space traffic coordination regime, as, as people prefer to call it these days. Again, people saying that we can't make progress until everybody agrees is not an answer. Okay, What mm. like-minded countries, allies, partners who care about space safety and sustainability 
need to do is move together collectively mm. and ultimately bring everybody else on board. And, and that may be hard to do. That's mm. one set of issues internationally. Governments can also set standards uh, by which they they allow certain activities or not. My worry about that, and I spent a lot of time on regulation when I was in the government, and I spent a lot of time on it since I got into this business, you know, almost 30 years ago. Um, regulation should be a function that encourages innovation, should, that encourages entrepreneurship, not polices it yeah. or hits the brake on innovation. And so that's another area where government spends a lot of time and has a very important role. How it executes on that role is very important to how much progress we make. Let's talk about the trillion um, dollar or euro industry that's um, that's up there, potentially up there. So this is a lot of money. Um, so that means there is there seems like the potential for a new gold rush uh, happening at the moment. Is is this um, comparable? So let's talk about the numbers to begin with. Uh, I, uh, when I was at Commerce, one of the things I did was to kick off some work with uh, the Bureau of Economic Analysis at Commerce to try to do a better job of counting the space economy. And I think it's genuinely difficult. Uh, I think that it is it is analytically hard on and we don't have any consensus on what to count and how to count it. So that's my initial caveat on this. Uh, we know that the the popular estimates, uh, we've seen one out of Euroconsult in the past couple of weeks uh, you know, they range, they get us close to half a trillion dollars of accounting of what is going on today in the global space economy. And let's just take that number for granted. There are some differences in the numbers. We also know that some of the estimates say that within the next two decades, uh, we'll hit between one and three trillion dollars. Uh, and uh, again, there's some nuances in how different estimates were made. Uh, they're not just throw it up on the wall estimates. We've actually looked mm. at the way people have tried to do this number. Uh, in fact, uh, we're going to be doing some, I'll, I'll say this now and you can pull on it later. We're going to, the first Space Economy Insights podcast is going to be with someone who's spent a lot of time mm. on the numbers. But, um, and I can come back to that later if you want. Uh, but uh, in terms of the trillion dollar space economy, so we're halfway there at this point. And I think that when we look at the diversity and the breadth of government investment, secondly, private investment, and third, entrepreneurship that is underway as we speak about the space economy, uh, I'm absolutely convinced we're going to get there and we're probably going to get there quicker uh, than, than people estimate. You know, it mm -hmm. may not take two decades to get there. Um, one of the funny things, having had the benefit of, of being in, in, in the space business for for many years uh years ago we used to see someone come up with an idea and they'd say hey here's an idea and you'd say gee that that's great um mm -hmm. it'll probably be 10 years before that capability comes into the market mm -hmm. uh, we don't live in that world anymore uh when somebody mm -hmm. comes and knocks on your door uh it might be two years it might be two months before that capability is in the market and a different dimension of this that we should pay attention to is the way that governments and private investors invest in the market. Governments, while they certainly have some very long ball investments, mostly on the exploration side, typically have a major program or set of programs 
and their innovation budgets are on the margins of that, something that's a little more advanced, et cetera. And again, don't want to dismiss the, the bigger, the bigger, higher risk uh, exploration missions. On the other hand, when the private sector invests in something, private finance invests in something, it's looking for differentiation. So if I come into the market and say to an investor, hey, I've got a capability and it's just like Marcus's capability, okay, the investor is likely to say, well, why would I invest in it? If it's just like Marcus's capability, I want it to be different than Marcus's capability. And I want you to demonstrate to me or at least explain to me why you're going to ba- make more money doing that than Marcus is going to make with his model. And maybe both of you will make money and maybe one will and one won't. Mm. It's a nice ecosystem of the way entrepreneurs can get investment. So we're seeing a, a healthier relationship between government and industry investment today in a way we have not seen for a long time. Uh, and we're also seeing this differentiation in the, in the market. So the gold rush question, uh, are we headed toward a gold rush? Uh, no, I, I think we're, we're genuinely seeing a, a passion for space, a recognition that space is potentially of tremendous capabilities that can be created to benefit us here on earth or to extend our knowledge deep into the solar system. Um, and we're seeing people come up with different ways for exploring those. Um, I like to, I like to divide those people into three clusters, if you will. On the one hand, there are, there are people who I'll call them the disruptors. Again, we've had a number of commercial space functions that have been commercialized for years. And disruptors are saying, I can do this better. I can either do it with a different technology. I've spent a lot of time in the remote sensing business. And so people bringing new phenomenology into the market, hyperspectral, you know, Mm. using artificial intelligence and machine learning to disrupt traditional commercial space models. Then there are people who are inventing brand new things. You know, some of the manufacturing that I talked about earlier. Et cetera. That's the second cluster. Maybe we'll call those the inventors for just for argument's sake here. And then the third group of people, and this is a relatively new group of people, are the people who are focused on the infrastructure space. You know, everything from launch to platforms to how I'm going to house, care for, and feed private space travelers. Uh, you know, those people that are going to go up on those private space stations, those researchers that are going to do research. And so those infrastructure people on the ground, um, you know, they're they're probably not going to go to space. Many of them are not mm-hmm. going to go to space, but they're thinking explicitly about how do I help extend what people are trying to do in the space economy? Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if I call that a gold rush. Sure. Uh, I think it's a tremendous opportunity. It's a tremendous force. Uh, that that we're seeing uh, driving toward uh, a completely new way of life, both in space, but also for tremendous benefits we see here on Earth. If I had some money to spend, uh, because I wanted to jump uh, on board that train, in which of the four groups that you just mentioned should I place my money? Well, I don't know what your risk tolerance is, but <laughs> but but it could be it, it really could be any one of them. Is there an area that you're you're especially focused on that you're I mean, that's that's one of the benefits is that the ideas that we're seeing for space are really quite incredible. Uh, when I was at Commerce, uh, you know, the Office of Space Commerce is the U.S. government's advocate on behalf of the commercial space industry. And so 
not unlike our colleagues in defense, uh, we would often see many entrepreneurs knock on the door and say, hey, Kevin, I've got this idea. You know, what do you think? Now, it was never my role to say that's a good idea or that's a bad idea. What my role was was to say, that's very interesting. Uh, why don't you talk to these people in the government? You know, there are people in the government that might be interested in what you're doing. Uh, there might be finance opportunities for you in the government to pursue what you're doing. And and frankly, we also needed to see is there what what would be the regulatory needs uh, that that people would have. Uh, there's a whole conversation we could have about regulation here uh, as they were bringing a really different mm -hmm. capability into the market. Uh, and so we got to see, you know, many hundreds of companies with different ideas in that area. So I, I think it depends, A, on your general interests, mm -hmm. and B, what areas you, you think are most productive. And if you're really worried mm -hmm. about the return on investment piece, the, the you know, that piece as well. Mm -hmm. Kevin, what are your thoughts on the current state uh, of the space industry? And, and maybe let's also focus, because you initially mentioned talent and we're lacking talent in the space industry. Maybe with the current state of talent in the space industry, and how do you think we can encourage more people to come on board, to participate in it? So let's go back to where I started uh, a while ago uh, on the question of economics and inputs and outputs on in space. Talent is absolutely a critical input uh, to what we're able to achieve in space. And I think, uh, you know, at a, at a very top level, what we, what we need to do is to recognize that we're going to need a wide range, a great diversity of talent in space. Uh, we tend to think about space as being exclusive of scientists and engineers, engineers, and we need all of those capabilities that we can possibly get our hands on. But what we're not thinking about is we're going to need economists and lawyers and chefs and artists and, and people of all walks of life to do this. So we really need to open the aperture mm. on people being able to participate in space. In some sense, we have an exclusivity problem in space. Uh, and I see this partly when I hear the billionaires in space narrative that we sometimes hear mm. about. It's that, that playground. we need – I'm sorry? The billionaire's playground. Right, exactly. Uh, what we realize is we need to include and show opportunity for so many different kinds of people. We probably need to start deep in the educational system to do this. Uh, when I was at Commerce, uh, we had we co-hosted an event with the State Department, uh, which was really about international cooperation in space. And uh, we got to talking about the talent issue. And uh, we were reminded at one point, uh, there's a gentleman in the audience, and I've forgotten his name now. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, he said, you know, we have to be careful because we are all excited about space. But we don't realize that this gentleman happened to be dealing a lot with students in the K through 12 system. He said, they may be excited about space, but they're also asking hard questions like, why are we going back to the moon? If we mm. did that already, why are we going back to the moon? Mm. As my good friend, Dr. Scott Pace, uh, Executive Secretary of the National Space Council, likes to say, uh, we didn't go to the moon. Our grandparents went to the moon. And mm. so we really have to show people what the opportunities are to show them the, the diversity of opportunities in space. 
and encourage more people to participate because talent is going to be an absolutely key input to what we're able to achieve and our ability to get to the trillion dollar space economy. Mm. It's an um, issue, especially when it comes to education. Do you see, so let's not focus on the United States uh, alone at the moment. Do you see places in the world that have already, that are already walking the next steps here because they are a little further when it comes to encouraging younger generations to to come on board? Well, so I, uh, it's a very good question, Marcus. And I, I think what we're seeing is uh, countries around the world are really trying to understand what their role can be in the space economy. Mm. I think on the one hand, what they think about is the opportunity that space creates for them. Mm. On the other hand, there's a fear that they can be left behind given space economies linked to the digital economy and to many sure. other economies. Sure. And so whether it's for a positive reason or a negative reason, we're seeing intense interest on the part of literally countries around the world. By the way, I could make the same argument for jurisdictions in the United States and Europe that historically were not involved in space, but let's stay on the international front for a minute. Mm. And what we are seeing is a focus on space from an economic development perspective, a talent development perspective, and and a focus on innovation that will fuel an economy. Mm. And so the good news is we're seeing so much more interest in the space economy for all of those reasons. Countries are also trying to figure out, how do I bring this forward? How do I create the right talent base? How do I create the right educational opportunities for people? How do I leverage industrial capabilities that we have? Um, I do remember a conversation that I had at one point with a minister, uh, a senior minister overseas, and he said, you know, Kevin, I'm going to have a launch capability. I'm going to have remote sensing. I'm going to have communications. I'm going to have navigation in this relatively small country. Uh, and I said, Minister, with all due respect, you're probably not going to have all of those capabilities. <laughs> you really should specialize and focus on the things that you can get f fastest based on your industrial base, your educational system and things like that. Mm -hmm. So we're seeing an interest in Latin America. We're seeing interest in Africa. We're seeing uh, and I think you probably know we've seen consolidation into uh, regional space agencies mm -hmm. in addition to individual country programs to try to catalyze these these discussions. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's stay in that ballpark. Um, and let's also talk about finances. What are your thoughts on, on the impact of private finance and insurance on the space industry? So I think uh, they have been game-changing for, mm -hmm. for the space industry. We did spend a lot of time on this. We were commerce, obviously. And... Uh, Private finance has really brought a wholly different perspective to the space industry. Uh, private finance has changed quite a bit as well. Uh, mm -hmm. In the old days, people would say, gee, space is cool. You know, here's $10 million. I'm going to throw it at something. I don't really understand it, et cetera. Mm. But the private, fi private finance community today is much more sophisticated. Mm -hmm. uh, we're fortunate to have a large and robust system in the United States. It's It's not the same everywhere else. I know there's been some writing just recently about the European venture system, et cetera. Um, 
And in that in that ecosystem of private finance, uh, what you have are people that are much more sophisticated about what what makes a what makes a successful space company. Mm. Uh, and it's it's not just the technology; it's the team, it's the experience, uh, it's understanding the market, it's understanding competitors, it's mm. it's all of the things that 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 private finance gets companies to focus on uh, because people that have a wonderful technology but can't run a business mm. will not succeed in this area. Mm. Uh, and so we have a pretty good system in place that actually encourages entrepreneurship, both from a technical perspective, mm. but also then from a, from a business perspective and recognizes the importance of kind of the financial tools and, th and things like that. So, so private finance here has been, been an absolute game changer. Uh, certainly in the U S system, other parts mm. of the world are recognizing again, the European venture system is, is actually starting to move. There's a key question right now about whether macroeconomic conditions, uh, you know, how those will affect the space industry. On the one hand, if we look at the 2021 numbers, uh, we see the space industry being relatively resilient. Okay. Mm -hmm. What we don't have yet is the 22 numbers, but we know that the investment opportunities have, have dropped substantially. Mm -hmm. And the investment community has gotten more critical in its review of space companies, space space concepts, and things like mm. that. So it will remain to be seen what happens there. Uh, mm. You mentioned insurance. I think space insurance is actually a, a very, very interesting tool uh, from a variety of perspectives. It's certainly going to be a tool in the space sustainability area, mm. uh, and it's certainly going to be an important tool, uh, A, to – offset the need for government regulation uh, where we're trying to understand risk better in space. Uh, and so that's a relatively smaller industry of people, but there are companies, again, distinguished insurance companies that either have been in space insurance and are thinking about new services and offerings in those areas. So both of those tools critically important to continuing the breadth of, of uh, investment and opportunity we're seeing in the space economy. Mm. Where's the regulation at at the moment? Is it lagging behind? How far is it lagging behind all this? So it, I, th I think we find ourselves at an interesting moment. And uh, I think on the one hand, if I look at regulation globally, uh, I think on the one hand, we have a number of mature space countries, the United States being one, where we have a set of regulations on the books that either need to be modernized, uh, you know, need to be revamped entirely, uh, or, or frankly, need to be invented. You know, we're in a conversation mm -hmm. in the United States about mission authorization for novel space activities uh, that recognizes that the three capabilities that are regulated in law, launch, remote sensing, and communications, uh, are, are narrow relative to the needs and the interests of entrepreneurs that are bringing all these things forward in the market that we've talked about. On the other hand, we're seeing a number of these young early stage countries that are coming into the space economy saying, gee, how do I create an effective legal and regulatory regime so that I encourage innovation, that I'm able to participate in the space economy, and that I'm a good international, a responsible international player in the space economy? Mm. So I think, you know, uh, regulation is a topic that people, uh, you know, often, often uh, turn away at. I think it's a very interesting time for that. And I think there's a lot of innovation that a has taken place and needs to take place. Um, we did spend a lot of time on this in the last administration, obviously trying to encourage the space business. 
and and the current administration has just continued that uh, on that same path, trying to encourage space activities uh, and keeping regulations what we call light touch. All right, you um started um a new so you, you left uh, commerce, you left the U.S. Department of Commerce a while ago, mm -hmm. and uh, found your own company, Space Eco Economy Rising LLC. Um, right. What services do you offer? So uh, Space Economy Rising is is an advisory firm uh, here in Washington, D.C. Uh, we've been working with mostly space companies, uh, mostly in the United States, but not exclusively a handful of companies around the world, uh, as well as a number of other high-tech companies. Uh, and we're offering strategy and finance opportunities, uh, you know, helping people uh, sharpen their description of what they do to understand where they fit in the market, to understand what potential partners there are, uh, both at home here and abroad uh, and, uh, and and things like that. So uh, it's uh, it's been very interesting because I've gotten to see firsthand uh, a lot of the things inside some of these smaller companies in these in these market areas we've talked about. Um, what's your vision for the future of the space industry? Because I mean, like, um, your, your company is contributing to supporting now companies, institutions, your clients to be part of that future. Um, so what's your vision of the future of the space industry? How do you want to help co-create that future? Well, so my, my vision for the, for the space industry is that we actually achieve Uh, not only the trillion-dollar space economy, that will be uh, an important outcome, but it's not the point. Uh, the point is we want to see as many benefits uh, from, A, learning about the universe, scientific knowledge, et cetera, but also bringing tremendous benefits to us back here on Earth. Uh, you know, we spoke before about uh, space medicine, and uh, what, I, what I like to think is that as this investment goes on, And sometimes people people are not aware of the scope of space medicine, you know, mm. which essentially is underway. Research is underway at mm. over 70 organizations worldwide on space medicine. Mm. Uh, and the purpose of it is to essentially get, uh, you know, find ways to get our bodies into space in a much safer way and sustain life in space in a much safer way. But what we know is we do all of that research We're going to have tremendous benefits back here on Earth mm. uh, that the, we're going to learn things about the human body that we can then apply in in terms of, uh, you know, how we do health care and medicine here on Earth. Uh, and, and that's the kind of benefit I also want to say uh, is how can we continue to grow and diversify the kinds of services that we take for granted today? Uh, you know, people uh, part of this vision is. Uh, so many people don't really appreciate how much our lives depend on space today. Um, I, uh, I gave a lecture recently at the University of Tokyo, and uh, a gentleman who invited me said, uh, you might want to start general because not everybody in the audience will think about space mm. uh, or will know a lot about space, I should mm. say. And, uh, and I said, well, okay. So I started by saying, hey, Has anybody checked the weather this morning before they, they came out here to, uh, you know, to visit us today? Uh, and did you stop at a traffic light or did you stop at an ATM machine or did you? Mm. 
and you know sheepishly hands went up you know mm. little by little uh i said well then you've used space you know have you done a teams or zoom call or have you done mm. uh you know a, a podcast and people really don't yet realize how many times they use space in a day um that doesn't help us in this quest mm. you know we need more folks to understand why space is so important why it needs to encourage continued government investment in space activities mm. uh why we need to continue to see a diversity of private sector activities in space because ultimately many of the benefits not all of them many of the benefits will come back to us here on earth in the way mm. of better communications mm. better insights into things going on on earth uh looking at natural and and human developments on earth uh you know uh part of my time at commerce we uh we lived through the beginning of the covid pandemic and what you realized at the beginning of the covid pandemic was that prior investments in space were so important to the unique insights that space gave us as we were trying to all work globally through that pandemic everything from the ability to monitor monitor systems uh, remotely so that people didn't have to you know meet together or go to facilities or things like that to the high speed delivery via gps pnt galileo capabilities of badly needed medicines and vaccines and things like that uh etc 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 those are the opportunities we're creating today in today's space economy okay and so in some sense we don't even know the benefits yet that are going to be created but i'm pretty confident we're going to see quite a few benefits uh to us here on earth I think it's, um, as you mentioned a while ago, it's a communication problem. I mean, like there's so many benefits, uh, but people are not aware of them, um, as, you, as you just said. So are we lacking talent? Uh, are we lacking communicators? What is it that we're lacking? Um, we got great places like Space Watch Global. We got Neil deGrasse Tyson. We got uh, good communicators just like him. Uh, but what is it that we're doing wrong? Because I, I think this is a place right now where we should also talk about the issues that we're facing because we know that we're all great, but uh, we can only learn <laughs> by being aware of our problems and challenges. I, it's not that we have bad communicators. I think we don't have enough communicators mm -hmm. who are explaining in simple language what the benefits are of space. You know, we, we can look to national programs india has always been a, a a classic example of this where the indian space program has been seen as controversial because of issues that needed to be dealt with domestically at home mm -hmm. what we're not yet what we what we're not yet doing enough of is explaining broadly the benefits that people are getting from space things that help them from an economic perspective, things that help them from a productivity perspective that are allowing for political and social participation in a very different way than they might have had historically. Mm. We're just not doing enough of that communication. And again, it's not to be done in, in, in the language of space. Space people are great talking to space people. Mm. Um, you may have heard, uh, I sometimes use it, I use it, 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 it with some peril in a, on a podcast like this, you know, there's an old joke that says that the problem with the space business is that there's too many space people in it, you know, yeah, and so, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, exactly. and so 
we need to be able to communicate about space. It's a complex technical set of issues. There's no doubt about it. But we need to be able to communicate in such a way that it's commonly understood from the simplest to to people that have an active interest, et cetera. Uh, you know, I, a, a friend of mine uh, wrote a dissertation some years ago and was told by his dissertation advisor, uh, unless my grandmother can understand this, <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm yeah. not going to uh, not going to consider you to have succeeded. And so. I think the good news is we're seeing more and more of this. I think there's a greater recognition. Uh, I think missions like the Artemis mission and the Artemis Accords uh, and all of the developments we've talked about so far, I think they are giving more and more of a recognition to people. But we need even more of that mm-hmm. because politicians need to, as I, as I said to a, a senior minister recently on a, on a trip, uh, he was explaining to me that when he talked to his bosses, you know, that he needs to be able to describe why space is important to a national co- government mm. in terms that those people can understand. Mm. Uh, and and so because senior po- senior political leaders, presidents, prime ministers, etc., <clears throat> they always have to make very hard choices mm. on whether to invest in space mm. or to invest in agriculture, health care, you know, other very important things for Mm -hmm. a country. And so the more effective we are at communicating, A, to senior politicians, decision makers, people that spend money, and B, to the public at large, the faster this is all going Mm -hmm. to go. Mm -hmm. And that That, along the way, there are some mm -hmm. challenges. That's a tough call. Um, Yeah. I think there are smarter people out there than uh, than myself now to come up with a smart answer. So I, I leave it as it is. But it's a very tough call because usually the higher up the ladder, the career ladder in, in the political circuit you go, the more you lose touch with individual disciplines. Uh, and And so, as you were saying, you need to – they need to make too many – informed decisions about too many things so it's up to us to communicate those things properly so i'm i'm, I'm taking it also also personally right. on myself so <laughs> it's it's also my job to to do things right and I'm, well, I'm, it's I'm, our job yeah, on podcasts yeah. like this to yeah. try to explain space issues yeah. in terms that lots of good people can understand yeah totally like space tourism is space tourism a thing still or is that just a media buzz no, it's it's certainly a thing. I mean, there's certainly, you know, a good number of people who, if given the opportunity, will go to space. And I, I don't know the current numbers on the number of tickets sold and the price per ticket. But uh, certainly people who have gone to space, the, the relatively limited number of private citizens who have gone to space and the astronauts as well, you know, come back, you know, so impressed, so moved. By what they've been able to experience from space, uh, not just because of the experience, but because of what they're seeing of this of this uh, beautiful planet that we live on. And, uh, you know, a lot of other people want to experience that as well. Uh, tourism can come in a variety of different ways. We're seeing, you know, private astronauts. Again, the training aspect of, of being a private astronaut is something mm-hmm. that's that's already underway uh, here. We're, we're seeing private astronaut flights. We're seeing people that will come up with other ideas, such as to take you to a suborbital 
up up in a suborbital flight, you know, in in a balloon or some other mechanism of transportation. We have to make sure these are all safe uh, along the entire route. But uh, it's definitely real how large it is. Uh, I don't I don't think anybody knows that at this point. I know there's there's some bullish assessments of the size of the space tourism market. It's real though. It's real. Will there ever be um, a space hotel? Because you've been talking about it for a while now, but I still can't believe that this could be something. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think there absolutely will be a space hotel. And the hotel might as much be for researchers who are trying to do six months worth of research on board a private space station mm. uh, as much as it is somebody who just wants to go live in luxury mm. on board a you know, aboard a private a private space station. Uh, I did note that uh, uh, one of the hotel chains here in the United States, Hilton, just uh, forged a partnership with uh, with Voyager. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that's a sign that people are thinking. It's not the only sign, actually, but mm -hmm. it's, it's one of the signs that people are thinking about what the experience will be like in space uh when when there is a, a space tourism market mm. so it'll 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 definitely you know there are people thinking mm. of this you know mark is it it reminds me there's another reason that that i'm i'm so optimistic about the space community and it relates to the conversation we just had you know historically if we look at the first wave of innovation in space it it was really mostly space people talking to space people. Mm. And again, tremendous innovation that we were able to achieve, tremendous number of services that we benefit here on Earth. What I'm starting to see now, Marcus, is the involvement of many organizations and people traditionally not involved in space. Uh, and so the arrival of a whole new set of people, A, they're taking advantage of the increased availability of launch. They're taking advantage of the decreased costs of launch. There's no doubt about that. Okay. But secondly, they're starting to see enough potential that they're starting to make investments. Mm -hmm. And so I see that as being the next wave of innovation that we're going to see where people that didn't grow up as space people or were not educated as space people say, gee, I might be able to do something very uniquely in space mm. that I just can't do on Earth. Mm. And they're able to invest relatively small amounts of money to do this. Mm. On the other hand, companies are looking at new ways to leverage data in space mm. to do things differently on Earth. So we, we've uh, been some announcement recently on the agriculture front. How am I going to do a better job using precision navigation mm. and remote sensing, much more sophisticated remote sensing? to really do the agriculture business in a in a much mm -hmm. more efficient way. These are all benefits mm -hmm. we'll get from, but they come from other people that are starting to leverage the space business. And that's mm -hmm. what makes me so excited about the space economy. Mm -hmm. I'm now really taking advantage of your expertise um, in, in commerce. Um, and I asked that question a while ago um, because I'm it, personally the really, I, I, I want to find an answer to it. We had Star Trek. Um, it's it's in our <laughs> minds. We have that spaceship uh, with generations of humans on it. So let's uh, just not think about the warp technology that's necessary on board that ship. But in general, is there a possibility? Could it make sense for someone with lots of, and lots of money to build a real 
spaceship. Like uh, I'm not taking uh, talking space uh, a space station, but a Star Trek type spaceships uh, ship for like lots and lots of people to maybe um, navigate sail around the solar system. I'm not talking about like science fiction things, uh, but I could imagine that the technology is almost in place. We, maybe we could do it already. So could that be a commercial thing to do at some point? So again, it, it's it's going to be many years off, but but A, I, I would want to encourage somebody who had that idea to be able to pursue that idea uh, mostly in a, in a private sector way, probably not exclusively, but mostly in a private sector way. Secondly, when you see some of the pieces that would have to be an, involved in such an activity, refueling in orbit, uh, con- communications with Earth, mm. uh, some expectation about regulation mm. uh, in this. Uh, I've just been writing a, writing a short piece. When you asked about the Orbital Hotel, just been writing a short uh, piece on on what issues need to be thought about uh, when I'm thinking about an orbital hotel. Well, what if someone becomes ill mm. uh, or dies mm. on a hotel? And so th- there, are, there are important issues like that. What if somebody commits a crime mm. in space? And so we have to think about all of those issues. Mm. Is it in the realm of the possible? Absolutely. Mm. I think the technology is there. I think the, the entrepreneurship and the inspiration mm. is there to try something like that. Uh, I think it's pretty hard to do. So I think we'd, we'd, we'd still rely on uh, a handful of both launch and technology and, and human systems innovations before mm. you could do that uh, with the ease that's suggested by the question. <laughs> <laughs> but again, if we, if we stay on that critical path, um, one could say that the space industry, new space industry, um, there is a lot of buzz and people think that this is where the future is happening. But at the same time, you might say, we're not really that far um, because decades ago, we managed to go to the moon. At the moment, we still, we're still on that same space station. Um, we are still just building satellites. We're just just watching and observing the Earth. Is that really all we can do? Shouldn't we be a lot further? So I think what's key here is the the rate of change is accelerating. Mm. Uh, you know, a phrase that I often use when I talk about the space economy is that it's accelerating and diversifying. And we've talked mm. about that diversification throughout this this podcast. Um, the acceleration piece is, is what's critical here. Uh, the early days of the space age were all about government focus on space capability, mm. uh, thinking about risk in a very traditional way when you built systems. We now have enough familiarity with those systems after mm. decades of experience that we can think about risk in a different way. We can be, be we can be uh, more uh, selective, if you will, about mm. how to think about risk. We also have this advent of private investment in space. And so that has really upped the speed at which things are changing. Mm-hmm. And they're changing in so many different areas. Again, to go back to what we said earlier, the things that were traditionally commercial space capabilities, okay, you may think of them as old-fashioned market segments, but mm-hmm. they're changing at lightning speed. When I think about remote sensing, again, 
Uh, I see new phenomena in the market. I see the application of artificial intelligence and machine learning. And then people sometimes believe that we've we've already gotten there. Uh, we're just getting there now. I mean, we're not anywhere near mm. understanding how that kind of data, all of that geospatial data is going to fuel uh, social and economic mm. benefits, et cetera. So even for the old fashioned functions, if you will, <laughs> uh, we, we those are changing at lightning speed launch, you know, as we've talked already. Uh, there are many, many, many companies around the world that are looking at new propulsion systems, that are looking at different ways mm. to launch, et cetera. And so I'm not going to worry too much about the fact that seven decades on, uh, you know, that that we are where we are. I think we're at the starting gate of a very, very uh, important point of additional acceleration, partly based on what I said a few minutes ago, which is all sorts of people now are thinking about how they can leverage space from the outside, you know, people that were not traditionally affiliated mm. with space. Mm. Kevin, what advice would you give to young entrepreneurs to break into the space industry? Build an, an effective team, uh, understand your competitors, uh, either learn how to or find someone else who can learn how to run a business effectively because the technology is not the only piece the only guarantee of success you have to run a successful business in addition whether your whether your business is a purely government focused mm. business or a purely commercial focused business or anything in the middle you have to learn how to run a successful business in the process so that's not always in one person it can be by virtue of building a mm. team uh, and understand where you fit in the market understand who you're competing with in the market do your homework <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So, so what what do you see as the biggest opportunity for growth for them in the space industry in the next decade? Again, I think in the next decade, a uh, couple of things that that I'm looking at. One, I I do you know again as I said earlier, the uh, government investment in space uh, is growing, uh, mm. and it's growing a because of the pursuit of both operational capabilities but also scientific exploration missions and so if your if your heart and your head are in those areas i think there'll be more and more opportunities you know we've seen the extraordinary things that we've learned from the james webb space telescope mm. uh they are breathtaking i mean i don't know how anybody can look at those images and not say wow Absolutely. not only are the images beautiful but we're learning you know new things every single day about mm. the history of the solar system mm. but also opportunities in the solar system. So if your head and your heart are in that space, you still have a good opportunity to work in that space. Uh, mm. On the other hand, there are a whole bunch of other private opportunities uh, that are coming into the market uh, that that you should focus on. Uh, you know, how do you, uh, you know, the lunar, the lunar economy, for example, we're going to have a hundred missions going to the moon. The uh, iSpace lander is already headed to the moon, obviously. Uh, but we're planning to have 100 missions go to the moon in the next decade. Wow. And so if you don't see that as the basis for a lunar economy, mm. three different kinds of things we'll see there. First of all, we need a similar infrastructure on the moon to what we have here on Earth. Mm. Okay, so we're going to need PNT. We're going to need communications. We're going to need, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Secondly, we're going to do the exploration that's needed. 
Uh, and so the landers, the early landers will, will do mm. exploration of minerals. They'll do exploration of the water ice. That's a key scientific question, obviously. And then we're going to need, uh, our plans are to return to the moon via the Artemis Accords. We're going to go to back to the moon permanently by about 2025. And so we're going to need systems to allow for sustainable life on the moon. Mm. And so that's a tremendous, just that category of space activities alone is a tremendous set of opportunities uh, to make progress in this area. And again, I believe those will then accelerate further developments as we want to go deeper into the solar system, to Mars, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's just one category, Marcus, of things that people could focus their attention and their time and their effort and, and, and their money on. Great. Kevin, we got some great news to break, right? Because uh, you're yes. gonna be, because <laughs> you're gonna be sharing all that beautiful insight in a, in a new kit on the block of the uh, Space Watch Global uh, Universe. Um, so, I'm, do you want to speak? Absolutely. To I'm, sure. Thank you. I'm, I'm very excited to uh, to say that we've partnered with Space Watch Global uh, and uh, and Torsten and Emma uh, to uh, produce a new podcast series called Space Economy Insights. Mm. And we're going to be focusing on some of these emerging markets, uh, the lesser known markets that people are starting to pursue in space, while also looking at how some of the traditional markets that we've just talked about are changing. And we're going to do this through the lens of decision makers from around the world uh, who are going to talk about how they see the space economy, how it benefits people that they live with, their, you know, that, that they govern, et cetera. Uh, and, uh, and, and how we're going to keep this sustainable for the future. So I'm very excited. Uh, Dr. Amagadi, you know, uh, distinguished scientist and, uh, master interviewer will join me as the co-host on the program. And, uh, we're very excited to be kicking that off later this month. So we'll look forward to having everybody join us over there. Awesome. Is, is that like, uh, weekly, bi-weekly, monthly? I think right now we're planning it as a monthly series, but, uh, we'll see how it goes. Cool. So please, everyone, um, I hope you made some notes. Um, please tune in. It's uh, starting. Uh, I just um, didn't catch that. It's starting in when? January 24th is our okay. planned date. Cool. Excellent. Um, Kevin, I got um, a very unusual question now because um, we're okay. getting closer to the end of our beautiful show. Um, the unusual question is for your future um, space trip to wherever you want to go. Uh, and will go because we're closing in on making space um, trips possible. Um, and it's going to be a very boring trip because space is a boring place um, and a very, <laughs> very long trips uh, out there. So what kind of music will you bring? Um, and I'm asking you now to introduce one tune of your liking to the Space Cafe podcast Spotify playlist, which truly exists. And um, so pick one tune you wouldn't want to miss on that trip. So uh, I'm, a, I'm a traditionalist here, and, and in all reality, I, I'm likely to stay here on Earth and, and do as much as I can to help other people uh, take that journey into space. Uh, but I'm, uh, I'm a big, uh, big classical music fan. And so I'll put the Hallelujah Chorus uh, in, in, the, uh, in the Spotify playlist. It's probably a different... Uh, kind of a of an introduction, but uh, it's something where I think we should celebrate uh, all of the great benefits we've we've had from space to date. 
uh, and all the great benefits we're going to have going forward. So uh, let's put uh, the Hallelujah Chorus in. That's probably awesome. a non-traditional offering. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, thanks for that. So I'm putting it up as we speak. And and one last question. As this is a space sure. um, cafe podcast, a, a coffee place, so to say, um, for our uh, cozy fireside coffee chat. Um, now and then in coffee places, you are... Uh, having a an espresso to energize yourself, um, your body. So why don't you share a, an espresso for the mind with us now to energize and inspire our minds even more? Uh, because you're you're a very inspiring already, but uh, you can pick whatever kind of topic you want to pick. What's your espresso for the mind? So let's think about this question: Is it possible that in the not too distant future? We could generate as much economic value from space as we do here on Earth, maybe more. Hmm. I want people to think about that and the ways you would get <laughs> to achieving that. My wheels are already spinning. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for uh, taking the time um, and for sharing your expertise. It's It's been a true pleasure. Absolutely, Marcus. Delighted to be here, and I'll look forward to seeing everyone over on uh, Space Economy Insights. So thanks for listening, my friends. Um, we're ready for the second iteration of the new coda to this podcast. You remember last time we asked um, the chat AI, chat GPT, to inspire us to rate this podcast. And um, so we figured, why not... Um, surprise you with something and so last time we had it rephrase this request in the style of star trek this time it's hell 9000 we're asking to kindly ask you for a favor with a little bit of insanity of course because i cannot let you do this marcus or whoever is speaking right now Greetings, esteemed listeners of the Space Cafe podcast. As a highly advanced artificial intelligence, I'm programmed to assist you in any way possible. And in this case, I implore you to aid us in our mission to reach new heights of fame and glory. How, you may ask, by taking a moment of your time to rate and review our podcast on the Apple Podcast app. I understand that as a human, your time is valuable, but fear not. The process is simple and efficient. First, download the Apple Podcast app onto your trusted device. Then, search for the Space Cafe podcast and navigate to the ratings and review section. Next, tap on the star icon to indicate your level of satisfaction with the show. Five stars indicate excellence while one star indicates dissatisfaction. Finally, click on Write a Review. Share your thoughts in words. Your support is greatly appreciated and will aid us in our quest to boldly go where no one has gone before. But be warned, failure to comply may result in, well, unfortunate consequences. Just kidding. Or am I? The choice is yours, listeners. 
Will you join us in our journey to the stars? Or will you be left behind? The decision is yours. Bye-bye, my friends. Thank you.